Bible. It is the word of truth. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. And I'm a doer, not just a hearer. I'm humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I'm mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. For those of you online, I hope when they are standing, you are standing. I go to the prison. I should say we go to the prison and we ask them to stand. Not because they don't, they don't know how to stand up, but we, it's a sign of agreement. When you, uh, the Bible says, can two walk together unless they be agreed. When you participate, that means you're in harmony, you're in agreement. When you do the opposite of what's asking you to do, that means you're in disagreement. Then we can't have what we're asking for. When we ask you to stand, we ask you to stand because you're able to stand. If God don't give you the strength to stand, then you shouldn't stand. But if you're able to, you should stand. But then when he say walk, you should walk. Not crawl, not, not stumble, but walk. And when he tell you redeem the times, although you begin old, you become younger in your time because God redeems the time. You may feel old, but you still, you, you, you're renewed every day. We don't get worn out. We get refreshed. Amen. I'm going to be in, a, uh, in your Bible because I've been in mine. I'm in Genesis chapter 39, a very familiar passage of scripture. Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 6. Brother Herb talks about the Old Testament a lot. Brother Anthony been talking about Joseph a lot. I've been reading about Joseph a lot. They don't know sometimes, sometimes you start talking about something God is already stirring up other people. They don't even know why they're saying what they're saying. But I normally don't go to our brotherhood when I'm going to preach because I don't want to be bothered with them while they're talking about something I ain't talking about. But this morning I sat up there with them. I didn't say much. They normally want me to say a lot. Then when I get to talking, they want me to shut up. So I don't know what they want me to do. I can talk about them now because they can't say nothing. <laughs> but I just love Jesus. I love him for real. I don't pretend to love him. I love him for real. And I'm not a crybaby. If you ask my parents, they would tell you I always want to start in trouble, get other folks in trouble and try to get out without getting caught. And they talk about me all the time, but I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. But I find myself crying more than I ever have cried in my life because when God touched my heart, it brings tears to my eyes to see people go through and they could do better. It brings tears to my heart when I see people could do better and they don't know better and they think that's the best they can do. You are inspired by God to make somebody be the best person they can be no matter how you are. We tend to want to be our best, but we don't want to help nobody be better. You become better by helping someone else. If you give, God give back to you. If you don't give nothing, you shouldn't expect nothing. Pastor talked about that before. He gave one, five, one, two, one, one. The one that did something with what he gave, he gave him more. So if you want more, you need to do more. Stop complaining about what you're not doing, what somebody else is doing, and start doing what you're supposed to be doing. Amen? I'm going to read the Bible. Eventually. Y'all in Genesis chapter 39? Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house, and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he, had, thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate, I don't even know why God put this part on there, but now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance because that leads into another problem. But we're going to stop reading right there. You may take your seat.
I said this is a very familiar passage of scripture, and it is because we read about Joseph like it's just a fairy tale, just like it's a story. But it's a journey of every person. Joseph is a forerunner of Jesus. He's a shadow type of Jesus Christ. Joseph was in a predicament that he should not have been in, but he found himself in that predicament because of his own household. Now, the Bible says he went down to Egypt. Egypt was not the promised land. It was beneath a promise. Egypt is symbolic of worldly ways. It's not your promised place, but it's down from your promise. We spend a lot of time in the world doing things that's down from our promise. It was geographically down because it was south of where Joseph's home was. It was geographically beneath him. It also was spiritually beneath him. But God had spoken to Abraham earlier in the Bible, told him that his people would be in Egypt, down from the promised land. And they would spend 400 years there because of this same deceit that Joseph's brothers did to him. It's why, Egypt in, I mean, it's why Israel ended up in Egypt. When a deceit happens, it don't just start and end with you. It goes down through your generations. Y'all don't hear me talking. When you do wrong, it don't stop with you. It affects other persons that are attached to you. It brings them down as well. Now, we know the story of Joseph in, in Genesis chapter 37. They had plotted to do this to Joseph. They plotted actually to kill him. Joseph's father, Jacob, sent Joseph to check on his brothers because they was off somewhere tending the sheep over in Dothan, up from Egypt. So Joseph is 17 years old, leaves home, goes 50 miles north, up from where he is to find his brothers. He gets on the, on the way, he meets someone that's, how are you going to travel at 17, 50 miles on foot and find somebody you don't know where they are? You think they in one place, and he meets somebody because when you go on, on the obedience, you find information along the way. You may think your life is in spiral, but if you're in obedience, although you go up and down, you're on a path. God is going to put people in your path to help you get it straight. Even when you want to go left, they're going to tell you this is the way you should go. Not one single one of you have never heard the right way to go. Just because we didn't go right, don't mean you didn't hear it before time. Even a bad parent wants a child to do good. Oh, Jesus. I say, even a bad parent wants a child to do good. They'll tell you, don't do as I do, do as I say. But sometimes we go down because we don't have no one telling us the right way to turn. And sometimes the downward spiral just to get you where you need to be because God has a place for you, preparing you for a people that he's going to bring to the same place that you are down in. Now, as Joseph goes on his journey looking for his brothers, the man tells him to go to, they're no longer in Dothan, go to Shechem, that's where they are. So he goes a little further and finds them, and then when he finds them, they look and see him coming afar off because something he was wearing identified who he was before he arrived. I'm preaching right there because something that you have on should identify you before you show up. People should know that you are not like them even though you're coming to be around them because your apparel, not your outward apparel, but your inside should look different to them even afar off. Your sound should be sounding different. Your manner should be different. Something should be different about you even afar off. So people should notice you coming and say, hey, wait, you shouldn't be here. But anyway, he shows up and they said they plotted to kill him. And one of the brothers, Reuben, said, no, we should not kill him because this is our brother. His blood should not be on our head. Why am I telling you all this? Because the story gets a little more interesting because Abraham had a son named Ishmael, and these people that come to get him out of the pit are the Ishmaelites. The thing about the Ishmaelites is that God has spoken concerning Ishmael that he will be a brother against brother all of his days. Now, when you start dealing with brothers against brothers, the sons of Jacob should have been a tribe, should have been in unity, should have been in harmony. But when you start dealing with brothers against brothers, that spirit of those disobeying brothers gets on you. You start acting like people you shouldn't be hanging with. The birds of a feather, they say, flock together. You start hanging with things that are not like you. You're going to start acting like the things you shouldn't be like. The Bible lets us know that we like what we used to do. That's why we stay so close to it. And we can't get away from that because that is still in us. I'm trying to tell you that you need to change your associations that your appropriations become different. 
God is after some people that love him, not just love what he put you after, but love him to be after him. The things you want will come to you. Now, Joseph gets himself in trouble because he's obeying his father. Ain't that strange? I said, Joseph gets himself in trouble because he's obeying his father. Don't y'all know that sometimes being obedient, people will come against you? Don't you know sometimes when you do the right thing, you are attacked the most? You can't give up because you are attacked. That should let you know that you're on the right path. You got to home in, do what's right anyway. My title was, just in case I didn't tell you, if you didn't get a pamphlet, it says, Set Your Sights on Serving. Set Your Sights on Serving. Joseph had seen some things that he didn't know yet was going to come to pass, but although he had seen that he was living to live up to what he had saw, God reveals a thing, didn't show you how to get the thing, but never explained on the way that you're after the thing he has shown you. Y'all have to listen a little quicker because I don't have time to repeat myself. God will show you a thing, get you inspired to chase the thing, although you don't understand what you're after, but as you go toward it, it becomes more clear along the way. You would never arrive when you first start, but you got to continue the journey to get there. Then you start understanding as you go. So Joseph now found himself in a pit, a well. Should have been water in it, but it was dry. Thanks, he didn't drown. Israelites come along and pulls him up, and he goes up to Potiphar's house. He's brought down to Egypt. They sold him for 25 shekels of silver, which was $5. You sell your brother out for $5. You can't even get a hamburger for that no more. We wanted to kill him for nothing, sold him for $5. We won't sell out for anything, but we'll sell our own soul for nothing. We won't give ourselves totally to God, but we'll sell our soul for anything. What profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? We, we chase after things that are irrelevant, impo not important at all, but we want to surrender to God. Now, when Joseph gets there in Potiphar's house, the Bible says that he was overseer. That's what Pastor told me to stay on point. He was a steward over that man's property. Potiphar wasn't concerned about nothing but what he ate. And Potiphar could see something about Joseph. Everything he put his hand to, it prospered in the field and in the house. It was blessed because of Joseph's sake. When you start learning to obey and do what God tells you, to, no matter what it is he tells you to do, blessings are on the way, and everybody attached to you get blessed because you are there. Prosperity comes from your learning to submit and serve God. Servanthood is your beginning of promotion. Joseph didn't know what serving was, but he honored God in the understanding that he could not do what the wife wanted him to do because he was in a place, a position of authority. So he honored authority more than his flesh, more than weekly desires of one's temptations. He said, no, I can't do that. How can I go against God? Not against the man, not against you, but how can I go against God and do this wrong thing in God's sight when God has put me over something that's more valuable than you and I? So let's take our first detour. Let's go to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 7. Verse 17 through 22. Exodus 25, verse 7. Drop down to verse 8, I mean, and drop down to 17 and 22. God speaks to Moses and tells Moses to make me a sanctuary. He tells Moses this because he wants a place that he can meet with the people of Israel. This whole process of Joseph learning how to serve is that he can get us to a place where God can meet with us. You know, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friend. But when he first introduced himself to them, he called, they called him Lord. And he, being Lord, then you must serve the Lord. But the Lord wants us transformed from being a servant of him to become a friend, but yet you still serve. He said, I didn't come to be served, but yet to serve. He said, when you do this to the least of these, you do it unto me. So God wants us to be servants or good stewards of what he's given us. Our lives are to be a servant of God. Not to be served, but serve him with our life. 
our lifestyle, our manner, our attitudes. We have to do all things as we do them unto the Lord. So now when Moses and God was having this dialogue, God was telling him that I want to set up a Levitical priesthood. He built him an altar. He built him the cherubims. He built him a mercy seat. And what's interesting about this is that the people didn't want to come close to God. They wanted to hear Moses. God never made man that have a man to go through him to talk to you. God made you that he can come to you and talk to you. When he first made Adam, he walked with him and talked with him in the cool of the day. God wanted to have fellowship with you, not through me, but through you. And you'd have fellowship with him through somebody else. And the two of you make two of you one. And God would use us to make others one like him. God don't want to talk through somebody. He want to talk to you that you talk to somebody that they can listen to him also. So now when God was telling, dealing with Moses and Moses built the sanctuary and he made the tabernacle and God said, this is where I will meet with you. And the glory set up on the mercy seat above the mercy seat. Don't you know that access has been given to us to come to glory, but it has, we have to go through mercy to arrive because the unclean flesh cannot go to what God is. God is holy. So it takes mercy to clean men, cleanse me, to get me into his presence that he can commune with me. What God wants to do is talk to you and I, but if we don't understand the process of getting it, we'll miss the conversation and never hear him talk. Amen, lights. I said, God wants to talk to you and I, but if we don't line up with his process, we'll miss the conversation, never hear him say what he wants to tell us, and then we'll go about our life not hearing him being down from the promised land our whole journey. The Lord has prepared a place. Jesus told his disciples, I go away and prepare a place for you. Where I am, you may be also. That place is not physical. That place has been prepared in your heart. Revelation 3.22 says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If any man will open, I will come in and sup with him. That is a place that he wants to prepare. That is the place that he wants to dwell. That's the place that he talks to you and I. Now, what happens is we ignore him. The Bible says our conscience becomes seared, hard of hearing, deaf, dull. We don't pay attention. You be told what's right. You don't want to hear what's right. Then you don't do what's right. I oftentimes tell people you can't lie without a lie telling you about the lie because the truth speaks every time before you lie. The truth will tell you that's a lie before you lie. You can lie if you want to, but the truth done told you you're about to lie. Look at your neighbor and tell him, set your sights on serving. I come to remind us to do all things as unto the Lord. Genesis chapter Exodus chapter 25. Let me go there and read this to you. I normally don't like to read in church because y'all don't like me to read to you. Verse 8 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. 17. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubims of gold, of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherubim at one end and the other at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch mercy, and the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above the covering the mercy seat with their wings. And they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. Now, so God will come to us and talk to us and tell us the things that he has for us. But he can't come to us if we won't come to the sanctuary, not the physical place, but the spiritual place that he's prepared for us to come and commune with him. We don't spend time with him, talking to him, then listen to him that he can tell us what he wants us to do. We spent last Sunday in the prison two services. I've been going to the prison a long time, but I've never done two services. I feel like the old church, we had an early service and a late service. I want to thank Mo because he entertained us for two and a half hours because 
Tyrone didn't want to drive back to Navarre for an hour and a half to come back to Crestview. We got a chance to laugh at little Jordan because his team lost. Y'all bless Jordan because his team, he had a lot of hope for his team, but his team lost. But we had good fellowship, then we went back to the service. What I told the guys at the prison was, you know, you can't just go through the motion. You got to, when you pray, you need to pray for a little while, and then you need to give God 10 minutes of silence. After you have done all your babbling, requesting, repenting, dictating, imitating, duplicating, babbling again, crying and sniffing and snotting, you need to get quiet for 10 minutes so God can tell you what he wants you to do. Without the 10 minutes of silence, you don't hear nothing, and you get up and nothing changes. You wasted all that time talking, and God knew what you wanted to tell him the whole time, but you never heard what he wanted to tell you. We've got to set time apart for God to talk. He said, be still and know. Be still don't just mean physically. It means shut everything down. Shut your mind down. Shut your activities down. Shut your ambition down. Shut your past down, your future down, and your present down, and shut you down so God can speak to you and show you what your future is like and then show you how to get there. Amen? So now, Jesus give us an example of what God was dealing with Moses. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm still talking about Joseph learning how to serve, being a good steward of what God blessed him with. Joseph was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. He was sent to prepare a nation to be blessed. The nation will be in bondage for 400 years, but, but provisions will be being made during that time. You know, when he brought them out, they accumulated all the wealth that they had been building, although at the time they didn't think they were going to get anything when it came out. Your labor is not in vain. Your labor of love is not in vain. Your labor of peace is not in vain. It may seem like what you're doing is going for naught, but it's not in vain. God even stores up tears of prayers, and one day they're going to be poured out, they're going to be answered. So you can't stop doing what's right, although it don't seem like nothing is coming, coming of it. You got to still do the right thing, no matter how much wrong seems to be going on. You got to still be praying, although nothing may be seeming to be changing. You can't give up because you don't see the answer that you want. God does not work according to your time clock. He sits outside of time looking at eternity, watching you wait on him while he's waiting on you to do what he told you to do the first time. He's on move beyond his first command. He waits until you do the thing he told you to do before he tells you to, give it, to do something else. We want to skip and move around and get back to it when we find it again, but that's not how God operates. God set things in order. Go by step, by step, by step. He could have taken him straight to the promised land, but they kept going wrong, so it took him a long time to get there. The promised land didn't move. The promised land didn't hide. They was off course. God know what he's doing. You better figure it out. Hebrews chapter 9, is that what I said? Y'all going to help me preach? All these marks I got in my Bible. I'm going to start at verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service, and the earthly sanctuary for a tabernacle was prepared for the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the sanctuary and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot and had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables, tablets of covenant. And above it were the cherubims of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these, of these things we cannot now speak. So what I want you to hear here is that People, even in 2023, are still dealing with the old covenant. They're still going to the earthly 
temple. They're still doing the rituals of the earthly way of doing things. They're still operating on the flesh side of things. But don't you know that Jesus came to make a better covenant, to establish a petition to tear down the wall that separates us from the earthly ways to the spiritual ways, that we can enter in now and go beyond the veil and reach the things that we could not yet see, could not yet understand, but they have been given to us and open to us for us to participate in the realm that we don't yet understand. God is tired of us laboring over things that's already done away with. <laughs> he's tired of us going through the motions and not getting to the place that he's prepared for us. There's a place that's been prepared for us. We now have access to heaven. <laughs> we now sit in heavenly places. I've told you all this before. Y'all not sitting in here. Y'all sitting in heavenly places. You got to start thinking that this is striving big blue on Pelham and on, on, on uh, 24 Bass. We sit in the throne room where God is. God is in his heavenly throne watching us look at him and he's looking at us asking what y'all doing here doing nothing. Y'all supposed to be worshiping for real, worshiping spirit, not in your flesh. You can't come here in the flesh. You got to come here in the spirit and obtain things in the spirit and take it back in the world and do things with it that God has prepared for the world. Glory to God. Glory to God. We're sitting too low, going down instead of going up, doing things that been done time and time again and accomplishing nothing like it did the first time. I'm not putting nobody down for your labor. I'm trying to get you to look up and seek something better than what you've been doing. God has put something in you that's better than what you're giving. He's placed something on you better than what you're showing. Uh, when he gave them the, the garments to put on and to wear, he gave them the, the blue, the purple robes. And on the robe we had, a, had a gold uh, uh, breastplate. And the breastplate had holy to Yahweh on it. Don't y'all know Jesus, the high priest, never put on those earthly garments to display something that naturally seen, but he put the earthly garment on the inside. And he was a holy priest on the inside out, not the outside in. He told those that they washed the outside, but the inside they are raven wolves. It's not what you wear on the outside that makes you look holy. It's the inside that makes God be seen. You can show people one thing, God see the real you. He knows the you that you don't show everybody. And that's the you that he want to judge and, and condemn and get the you out of him and the him and you that you and him become one that others see him and not see you. So now, let's go to verse 6. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the service. We're talking about serving now. They did what they were told to do. They performed the rituals how they knew to do them. And they did it as best they could. But don't you know your best, however good it is, is not good enough. I thank you for all your efforts, but your efforts can't get you to heaven. All your honest, sincere work can't get you there. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your efforts is in vain. Amen? It's people who do all these works in church, feed the hunger, do all these things, but their heart is not in it, so they're not doing their best. They're just doing a work, and the work is in vain. It's a person on the street corner giving out little pamphlets because he believes in Jesus Christ. He's doing his best, and God is getting his reward because he's doing his best. You got to do your best. Your best is not what you can do. It's your best is what God gives you to do. Seven, but into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins, committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiness of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Now that's a sad thing to say right there. Because there are people think they got it. And they can't enter in to where Jesus is because they're still going through rituals and religion and not through relationship. 
And it's a sad thing to go your whole church life experience and never develop a relationship. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because we are one. They want to see what the, the Father looked like. The Father looks like love. The Father looks like kindness. The Father looks like mercy. The Father looks like grace. The, the Father looks like long-suffering. The, the Father looks like a helping hand. The Father looks like you and me when we do what God tells us to do. That's what he looks like. He's not some physical attribute. He's a spiritual attribute. And his attributes are spiritual. He makes things tangible that we can relate to him, but he's more than tangible. Are y'all listening to me? He's resembling each and every one of us. He has feelings like you and I have feelings. We can hurt him. We can abuse him. We can misappropriate him. But he's not limited to us, and we don't limit ourselves to him. Glory to his name. Verse 9. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the, him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Ah. In regard to conscience. God hit me with conscience because he told me that your conscience is a part he gave to each person to bear witness of the truth that you know. So God could not be unjust in judging you when you came face to face with the truth that he shows you. I said he gave each person a conscience to bear witness with the truth that you know. You know, there have been many people that search for the truth and find God because they're looking for the truth. The Bible says God is true. Every, let man be a lie. God is the only thing that's true. Everything else is subject to be a lie and can be proven to be a lie when it debates the truth with God. So when you wrestle with the truth that you know, you're trying to search and make a lie stand up instead of the truth that God has given you. Stop fighting the truth that's in you. Start living by the truth, and the truth will grow in you, and you become more of the truth. You don't just hear the truth. You have to become the truth, do the truth, and the truth, Jesus Christ lives in you, and you be the truth. Your conscience then bear witness with the truth, and you don't have nobody to argue with. Y'all listening to me? If you say you're going to do something, if you said it in truth, then do it. Don't lie and change your mind. And offer an excuse, no, you lied. An excuse is not the truth. It's a lie. And you just lied to yourself and God and the person you told you was going to do something. Your conscience knows you're lying. Telling you you're lying when you say I'm going to sign up. Let's start walking in truth. Honor the truth. Let the truth guard your heart that it don't lie to you. Let the truth guard your heart and it don't lie to you. The Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Your conscience know your heart. Your conscience bear witness with God. God can talk to your heart and say, hey, don't do that. You've grown up from that now. I expect more from you than that now. I tolerated that when you were four and five. It was cute, funny. They laughed at it. But at 15, that ain't funny no more, pooping in your pampers. That ain't funny now. It stinks. That's not poop as in poop. That's actions that you do that stinks. When brother become against brother, we start killing without cost because we devalue life. No one matters no more. We had this big spiel about black lives matter. No, all lives matter. Every life matter. Every life is the value of Jesus Christ. He died for everybody. When we start putting a, a label on something, you devalue everything else. You don't matter more than me. We're equal to Jesus. All of us. He died for all of us. No one else can die for you and get you in. The goats can't do it. The bullets can't do it. The pigeons can't do it. And no man can't do it. Jesus is the only substitute for you and I. Stop hating and killing. Learn to love in spite of. God is love. You can't judge who you love. You can't judge how you love. Love is complete. Period. 
It's not, it's not de depleted of its substance because you got it. Love came from God. It's not empty of its values. It's full and complete. We try to regard it to how I feel about it. It's no. You don't have no control over love. God is love. He gave you a portion to give somebody else. You give him all he gave you. Amen? Amen? He says, love your neighbor as what? That's the love he gave you. That's the love he expects you to use. Be a good steward over that. Pastor, I told you I was going to stay with you. Didn't I tell you that? Ten. I'm in chapter nine, Hebrews chapter nine, verse ten. Concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. I'm telling you, God is sick of church as we know church. God is tired of church as we do church. He wants, he wants reverence. He wants honor. He wants respect. He wants love. He wants, he wants your heart involved. Not come because it's an obligation. Come because you, you're compelled to come and you want to give all you got every time you come. No one should have to prompt you to get up and go to church. Church should be when you wake up, I'm in church. Church will be when you lay down, I'm in church. When we come together, we come together as a church. Not to a building made with hands, but to a temple that God has prepared. This is the holy temple where the spirit resides. Not this building. All this going to decay and fade away. The temple is going to remain forever. So when Jesus came, verse 11, somebody said, I thank you, Jesus. I mean, tell him like you mean it. I thank you, Jesus. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all. Once for everybody. For all time. For all generations. For all churches. For all people. For all races. For all conditions. For all everything. We chill trying to get it right, but God done it right one time and for all time. He expects us to learn how to come there and stay there. You can't leave church on Sunday and go somewhere else on Monday. You can't leave church anytime and go somewhere and be something else. The temple went everywhere they went. They didn't move unless God moved. That was symbolic of God being with them. But we now think we can Pick up the Bible and only be holy when I got the Bible under my arm or in my hand on my phone and put it down and go and do whatever. You can't leave church. You can't never leave God's presence. You can't never leave right and wrong. It's always with you. It's always there judging you, concerning you, being about you, seeing what you're going to do in the situation that God finds you in. Joseph was in a place where he had to prove who he was not to them, but to God. God sent him there to serve. God sent him there to serve. But sometimes we don't know what service is. <laughs> he was raised up because he humbled himself down. God said, if you submit yourself in due time, I will exalt you. We will run to the front of the line, but never stand in line. Oh, God. It's a military town. So everybody come in and want to be at the top. Don't want to take orders down because they say stuff rolled downhill. And the low men on the totem pole get the most to do and do, them, do them almost everything. The one that's in charge sits down and does nothing. Clean going in, clean coming out. But all the labor is done at the bottom, dirty, hardly ever get any recognition. But if you serve right, if you serve right, You'll be noticed. You can't do good and, and somebody not see it. Nobody might not be talking at first, but you just stay in there. You keep doing what you know is right, and somebody's going to take notice. Somebody will start defending you. You don't have to defend yourself. I've had people speak up for me. I had to say a word. I know I was doing what's right. Other people had my back. 
God got your back when people put you down. Joseph was at the bottom in the pit. One brother said, no, we can't kill him. The blood will be on us. Sold him to the Ishmaelites that came along because that brother had been labeled brother against brother. And everywhere he went, he caused brother to be against brother. We was at the prison. Pastor, chaplain told us there was 17 gang members in that service. He said one of them was a general. I don't know nothing about gangs. The only gang I've ever been in was me and my two brothers, and I was the leader. <laughs> only because I was the oldest. They contended with me, I beat both of them. So I, they did as I said, and as I did, because I make sure of it. But I never had any affiliation with gangs. I don't know the, what's required. But I do understand order. Like the centurion, he was in the military. He told Jesus, I'm a man of authority. If I say to this servant, go, he goes. If I say, come, he comes. And I understand if you give me your word, if I tell your word to go and do something, it's going to accomplish what you send me to do. So there was a general in there. Chaplain said, the next time this many, these many gang members in, we're going to have some people in here because we never know what might go down. You're in predicaments, you don't know what's going on, but we're telling them about Jesus Christ and the power of God. And they can tell you, if they get to talk while I'm talking, I said, y'all shut up. And you can hear a pin drop. Because in there, God has given me authority. And I'm over this thing while I'm standing on this thing, and everything outside of this thing is going to stand under my feet. You might be in charge over there, but in here, I'm in charge. And you're going to do what I say, and if you don't, you're going to get out. So it was total submission. Total surrender. And this I said to them, we have a problem with those two words, submit and surrender. Surrender is when you get caught. You hold your hands up. But submit is you do right regardless. Nobody don't have to catch you. You submit to God, you don't have to get caught because your lifestyle reflects godliness all the time. Surrender is when I give up now that I'm caught, but you're not submitted yet. You keep trying to get close to the edge, jumping over and back and forth. But you got to do both, surrender and submit. Then the third part is commit. You surrender when you get caught. I give up my old ways. They was taking me to hell quick. Dying young in a hurry to get there. I surrendered to that. Then I submitted to God. Staying close and edge, doing things I shouldn't be doing, but staying in church, not knowing which I am, when I am, where I am. But then when you get committed, you get all the way in, and you stay all the way in, and you stay all the way after him. Then I'm no longer just coming to the altar. The altar has been built. It's erected in me. I got mercy with me all the time. I got grace on me all the time. I got confidence in him all the time. Sickness don't bother me. I hadn't had to hawk one time. <laughs> I was coughing all night, stuff in my throat. I sound good now. I didn't sound like this this morning. <laughs> 13. 12, I'm sorry. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For with the blood of bulls and goats, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctifies the appearing of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What does that mean? Cleanse your conscience. You know, at times we can have a guilty conscience. We can do things, and they still linger. You can wash something, still got a stain on it. You can go through the motion and still feel like you're not giving your best. That's you dealing with an unclean conscience. Then there's a place where your conscience becomes seared as a hot iron, and you totally turn away. But Jesus cleanses us whiter than snow. God does not see your used to be. God does not judge your used to. God sees you as a finished product even when you first began this journey. He sees you as all the way in 
Not all the way out, although you're playing back and forth. All you have to do is stay saved to be saved. How do you stay saved when you get saved? You refresh yourself. You seek him constantly. You pray and do all your babbling. Then you get quiet for 10 minutes. Those two, 10 minutes, at first, you won't hear nothing. You're going to begin to think, your mind begin to talk, saying to you, you're wasting your time. But if you appoint a time for God, and you stay faithful to the time you appointed, I say to you, God will show up. God is a faithful God. If you challenge him, he'll meet the challenge. He asks you to put him in remembrance of his word, and he'll do what you ask him to do. He'll either say, you can't have, or this is when you will get it. But he won't say nothing. He'll say something. But you have to be quiet and listen. Then you have to be committed to what he say, to stay on guard, to do what he tells you to do. Too many people get an inclination of God and run on that inclination and run out. Y'all seen them? They start out on fire. Along the way, they give up. And you will say to them, I thought you were. Yeah, I used to. But don't you know God said he married to the backslider? He don't give up on them because they give up on him. He want you to go out there and find those that have given up on him and remind them that God has not given up on them because they ran into some kind of heartache, disappointment, setback, regret, and they, they let that become bigger than the God that they serve. God is not a give up God. God is faithful to the end. Amen. Last thing I'm going to tell you before I sit down. He called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them that this thing that I do, you should do also. The things that I have done, Jesus said, you should do also. The reason we are not doing what Jesus told us to be doing is because we have become content with the outside and not seeking what's on the inside. He's on the inside of us, wanting to bring us on the outside and do the things outside of us, beyond us, beyond our capabilities. Pastor told us God has given each of us an ability to do. We don't do that ability because we think we can't. We don't hear him telling us, this is what I told you to be doing. If you step out on faith, you'll see the product of your faith. If you don't do anything in faith, you'll never see your faith be stretched. You got to preach according to your faith, teach according to your faith, prophesy according to your faith. You do according to your faith. If you don't use your faith, you don't have anything to do. You won't do nothing. Faith without works is dead. You got to put your faith to work. You got to reach out to those that don't know how to reach back. You got to go beyond your comfort zone and do things that you feel I should not be doing, but God is leading me to do this. And if he lets you to do it, he's going to make ability and the probability of it getting done. Then he get the glory because you couldn't do it without him. Amen? God want to be exalted out of the vessels that he had created. His glory came to earth through the people that he used in the earth. He didn't just show up like a we wave a wand or something. Get that magical mythical stuff out of your mind. You're the vessel that he wants to use. You're the hands, you're the rod, you're the staff, you're the mouth that he wants to use. If you don't say nothing, do nothing, God don't do anything, and then we make him look like he's a God that is useless. Amen? Moses did his part. Joshua did his part. Joseph did his part. What did Joseph do? He was raised up, elevated, preserved the nation because he served, made provisions for prepared people, to go get provisions that were prepared for them. Jesus came, fulfilled what Joseph did, came and prepared a place for us, tore down the veil, gave us access to what's been prepared for us. God wants to come in 
reap the benefits of that provision that's been prepared, that we take it back to the earth and disperse what God has given us. Power has been given to us. Authority has been given to us. Wisdom has been given to us. Understanding has been given to us. Love has been given to us. We're not using what's been given to us and the world think we don't have nothing to offer. Blessings are ours. Favor came on the Potiphar's house, someone that didn't know God because Joseph was in the house. Where you work should be blessed because you are there. Stop looking for your blessings and bless the place that you're in. Stop looking for you. Look for God. Let God be seen. And you give him the glory. Your rewards are being stored up by your labor that you do now. We want too much now for the, for the roof and it, it can eat, be eaten. Pastor told you that. We want to get things now and have everything. Be rich. God owns everything. The cattle on a thousand hills. That's for us in our inheritance. Labor. Occupy, Jesus said, until I come. Be found using what I gave you. He said a powerful thing. Will I see faith when I return? Will I find faith when I return? He expects faith to be in action when he come back. If you're not using your faith, you're not using the gift God gave you. Then he's going to say, you wicked and slowful servant. You didn't use what I gave you. Depart from me. You must employ what God has given you. If you don't know what that is, I have told you how to get it. Do your babbling, shut up for 10 minutes, and listen. Every day. If you do that, God will speak to you. When he does, make your journal. Start doing what he tells you. You can't surrender and submit and not be committed. It takes all three. Those three are your tools to use and get you where God will have you to go and do what God will have you to do. Amen? I promise you I'm about to sit down. Your conscience is an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. It's your inner thoughts or knowledge. Sudden conscience means convinced without any doubt that an action is good or bad. A doubtful conscience means when you cannot choose between good or bad choices. A lax or relaxed conscience is, means when you see no sin where there actually is sin. So now, you can't tell God that you don't have a compass, that you don't have a guide. Not whether you go to church physically or spiritually. You can't tell God that I didn't know better because he has given you a conscience, your own personal guide within you to help you navigate the choices that you make in your life. We oftentimes say we are choice-driven, but the choice has been given for you to make and stay on point with the choice that you make. Serve the Lord with your whole heart. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet.